This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 102 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, our listeners will get to experience some real international horsemanship and some imagined international intrigue, too. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just listening again to some of those episodes of Radiothon, and you guys did so well. That was so much fun this year. Phew. It's a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. It's it's like oh. a, it's the big holiday pre-party. Gets everybody in the mood. It it was. And this one is going to be out really close to Christmas. So I think we can wish everybody happy holidays and Merry Christmas. And uh, really glad that everybody, I hope everybody is tucking their horses in, not blanketing too much, um, preparing their, <laughs> you know, well exams for the spring. And <laughs> now, do you guys at the holidays, or do you, f- we do this, do you give your horses like, special treats and stuff at Christmas time. We give them extra carrots and all kinds of things. Do you like do that. that in the bucket? Yeah, we do. We go down. We you know, you eat so much, you gotta get out and walk around a little yes. bit. So we go walk <laughs> around with like, okay, it's horsey time. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We we give them a break. We're we don't work them on, on Christmas or around that too much or anything. But um yeah, it's always fun to walk the fields and check everybody out. And there's always, you know, what's kind of fun. There's always some tourists on the farm too oh, at Christmas yeah, really? time. Get yeah, people come, families come from all over the world and they, really? you know, they just, yeah. And they, you know, there's a visitor's welcome on the, on the gate, on the outside. And you don't people cover that up on, at the holidays? <laughs> no, we don't cover it up. We encourage, we put lights around it, you know, we want people to come and, and they bring the families and, you know, and rub the noses through the fence. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, I've met some dear friends. In fact, I have a funny story that I met one of our to-be certified instructors eventually from Denmark. She brought her whole family over. She figured out that dad was in Solvang and and they were walking the farm. Actually, this was Thanksgiving, not Christmas, now that I think about it. But um, her name is Joan Satori Sway and she lives in Denmark. And she later came back and said, I love the farm so much that I became a certified instructor. <laughs> it's a great story. And it, it's like that. You just, you just, um, people pilgrimage there. Isn't that crazy? So cool. Yeah. Yeah. People should come. It's really fun. And, you know, you usually don't see any babies in the fields just yet in Christmas, but by January, you might catch a few little noses out there. <gasps> oh, do you, so you have uh, mares that fall out at the farm? Yeah, people will. You know, mom's cut way back on her breeding, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so she used to always have a, a few quarter horses out there, but there, there's always a, a few that, you know, borders or people that have brought their thoroughbred um, mamas to us for the fields and yeah, Sweet. yeah, there's always, always some babies. It's oh, fun. Babies. Yeah. So in the springtime, you can go visit Plagas Up Farms and see the babies. Please do. Was that a minion? What was that? Yeah. They're so cute out there though. They're just like little baby people, aren't they? You know, they run and play and just people should come see horses in their natural habitat. You know, we're kind of like a little ecotourism. <laughs> so there we, you go. We are. You we are charge, contributing though. to California's local economy. 
Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's a beautiful place to come in the winter, though, if people are looking to get, uh, you know, out of the cold spots. We always have pretty nice weather. It rains a bit in February, but, you know, if they're if they're willing to take a chance, it doesn't rain that much. You, you go, <laughs> you and get you, really you unlucky. In, you head in and you visit Flags Up Farm for the day. And then you find yourself a cute little bed and breakfast or local hotel overnight and then spend the next day in downtown Solvang, which is one of the top 10 most adorable tiny little towns. So cute. And, you, and then there's the San Andreas Valley, which is wine country. And, and up for wine know, country, yeah. And there's like 22 breeds of horses in the valley now, too. It's crazy. There's top Arabians. They have top minis. They have a little quick several farms, minis. Then there's, you know, there's Percherons and there's drafts and there's just... And quarter horses all over the place, of course. Is, you yeah. know, we still are Western California. Yes. Know, so. Now, yeah. Flags Up Farms welcomes folks to visit with open arms, which, yeah, frankly, really. in this day and age, is not all that common. Mm. Are there other... Should be. It should be. Are there other farms in the area who welcome folks, even if they do have to make an appointment, to come and visit and, and be tourists? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like the Quicksilver Farms that I just mentioned is is kind of like that. They sell these little minis. <laughs> it comes with a suitcase handle. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're right on a, a, a main road, you know, so you can see them. It's, it, it almost looks like, oh, look at those horses way in the distance. Oh, no, they're right here. They're right here. <laughs> they're just they're only 20 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to squint your eyes. That's the full size. Uh, but yeah, no, there are, they, I've been, I do call ahead if I'm going to go to some of the the bigger farms. Uh, like we've had, uh, we interviewed um, Yanina Mers, uh, who sold that $1.6 million yes. Arabian Philly. Yes. She's Om El Arab, uh, right in the valley. And uh, I know people can go there. You know, you don't bring your picnic and your balloons, but you, but you certainly, uh, people should really get around the valley because there are, there's just such a history there of wonderful horse people, really talented horse people from every discipline that you can think of just about. Uh, I mean, for heaven's sakes, Bo Derrick lives there and she has her big Andalusians and you know I mean I don't know that you can get on her place and you that probably might can't be a little trickier my, yeah that might be tricky but I mean this is the kind of quality that's in the valley too by the way Michael Jackson's you know Never Never Land is also in the valley but he's no longer in residence as we know but and I'm not sure what the um the status is on the sale it was for sale last I heard too but it, it's like you that can drive it's, by though you can. You, you can. can. People by. do. They take pictures, you know. That's, yeah. um, That's so cool. As if people needed another reason to visit the area because it is drop dead beautiful with gorgeous weather all year round. So, it is. Yeah. It's, it's also uh, really famous, too, now for biking. People come there from all over the world to uh, create a cross-country bike. They have a Rufufio Canyon that you can go up. It's kind of famous now, too. They have uh, long races there. And so it's beautiful for that as well. And that's another fun way to get around the valley. And they have lavender farms and bee farms. There's bee tasting in the valley, for heaven's sake. Wow. Um, you know, like wine tasting, like bee t honey tasting. Honey tasting. Isn't that cool? Not, I do you that. Don't have to I totally do that. <laughs> now, I know you and your gal friends are avid trail riders out there. Is... Is this the kind? Is the local area there someplace who, somebody who maybe lives in a neighboring state, has themselves a nice little living quarters horse trailer? Want to head that? Wants to head out there? There's lots of places to trail ride in the winter as well. So true, Jen. Absolutely. Santa Barbara County, San Luis Obispo County. That's a Montana del Oro. I've talked about that on other shows, but Montana del Oro someday. Is the someday. Yeah. Got to 
got to do this. It has the ocean that you can ride out on. It's, I mean, it's built for horses. There's trails everywhere. And then there's nosebleed. So they go straight up the mountain. And, you know, you could take several days to do this. And they have um, camp pipe corrals, you know, to set up for the camp. Even the little hotel has pipe corrals. That's where we go oh, cool. these days, too. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's the mountains. Uh, you know, in, in Santa Barbara County, there's uh, places that you can go way up into the mountains where you get into the big uh, – sequoias and stuff that you you know you just never see you can see them you know, by horseback yeah <gasps> oh my gosh goodness, it's just bucket list. Beautiful. oh there's so many bucket lists there i don't even have a list <laughs> there's just a lot <laughs> a lot of places people go and northern cal too but i'm just more familiar with the southern cal but anybody who wants to write me write me at debbie at monteroberts.com and and we'll compare notes you know and i'm That's always awesome. <clears throat> chasing the elusive greatest trail ride oh that is so cool yeah, it is fun. It, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun place to live. Um, but I want to get on to our guest today, too. I I have the privilege and honor to uh, introduce two women that are, they come from completely different worlds, but I think you're going to love them. One very young and um, working now for the FEI, if you can believe that. You know, that's Behind the big scenes stuff look at the world. FEI. This should be great. Yes. And then Connie Johnson Handley is an author. She she volunteers, uh, just horses are a part of her life, but she is an author who kind of chucked the corporate world and decided to write thrillers. Who doesn't want to do that? Like chuck the corporate world, go play with horses and write thrillers. Isn't that fun? I, I, you guys are going to love her. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Over the past year and a half, Stephanie Kreisiak worked in collaboration with the Federation Equestra International, that's the FEI, on a research paper regarding the topic of horsemanship competence. This study was the result of an in-depth literature review along with a qualitative semi-structured interviews with 105 individuals from six continents, 30 different countries, in eight equestrian disciplines, and 21 different stakeholder perspectives. Participants included Monty Roberts, George Morris, Christopher Hess, Pat Pirelli, Anki Van Grunsven, Dr. Gerd Hirschman, Frank Kemberman, Guy McLean, and the four big classical riding schools and more. Before Stephanie assisted with the mounting of the Pan American Games, one of the largest international multisports held every four years for athletes of the 41 members nations of the Pan American Sports Organization. Before that, she was just a simple horse girl. 
Well, welcome, Stephanie Krishak. You're speaking from Switzerland, I think you said. Is that right? Yes, it is. And thank you so much for having me. It's really a great pleasure and honor. And I'm looking forward to discussing a little bit about horsemanship today. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for agreeing to stay up until the middle of the night, I think, <laughs> for us. I so appreciate that we could we could record this and then send you off to bed. My goodness. I think you're like nine hours different from where we are right now. Yes, yes, it's quite different, but that's fine. I'm used to it. And, you know, I, I love being able to um, talk about horses. That's the most fun. So, uh, it, yeah, and it is fun. I so appreciate you. So, a little background you're from Canada. We read a little bit about your background, about what you've been doing, but not so much about your horsey background. Why don't you give us a little history of how Stephanie became associated with the wonderful horse? <laughs> So, um, as you said, I grew up in Canada, um, a place near uh, Niagara Falls called St. Catharines. And I actually wasn't born into a horsey family, but really just uh, came upon it by chance and just falling in love with horses. And um, my uh, dad gave me riding lessons for my fifth birthday. And I guess that was kind of his... Um, mistake or perhaps my lucky <laughs> break because <laughs> um after that I, I never stopped so and um then I got into dressage and um fell in love with that aspect of, of um horses and started doing a bit of comp competing at the FEI level and um really really wanted to improve um eventually getting into more classical riding and then um uh, moved out here to Switzerland first for my master's, but the number one priority was always to keep horses with me. So now I actually have two horses here. Um, they both do about pre-St. George, and, um, and then I take on some other horses when I can. So it's pretty much uh, my life, and I think as many horse people um, I'm sure can say the same, and it's uh, something that oh. I'm so happy to have in my life. So. That's wonderful. Well, I, not too many people can say that pre-St. George are riding pre-St. George level <laughs> horses. So I would say that uh, yeah. you, you've got us. And, and how old are you now at this? Uh, 25. Yeah, see, you're you're so young yet still. No. But I mean, I, I know you've probably been involved. Well, you've been involved with horses since you were five. So that just says a lot about how, how, how long, you know, people kind of forget that when you see the, the 20 somethings and you think, how are they achieving it? Well, it's because they started 20 years ago. That's you know, it's always a lifelong process, isn't it? So, um, you know, you're always learning and I definitely think I have lots to learn. So well, still I'm quite glad. young for that. I'm glad, I'm glad for the attitude. That's really good because horses will, you know, they'll, they'll keep us learning. That's for sure. And we've got yeah. so much to learn from them and you've got a long, a long a road ahead of you, but you're really far along on that arc. And I, I love that about you, that you're really a good student. You're not only a hard worker, very organized, which is why the Pan American games, I'm sure, uh, put you in their lineup and had you so instrumental in the part of that. How was that experience working, collaborating on that whole? I mean, that's a huge project. It was, and it was really incredible. Um, you know, I fell in love with the Olympics and the sports movement after watching Vancouver 2010. And that was very inspiring time in my life but I didn't really know that that was a career really to get into sport um, I studied economics and finance and 
Um, it just so happened that uh, during my final years of university that the games were happening and, you know, the rowing venue was only about three blocks from my house. I competed at the venue that the equestrian uh, disciplines were being held at. So it was really something that I wanted to be a part of. So I started out, you know, two and a half years before the game started and really got to see it all grow and um and stay afterwards and see how it all finishes. And I think that was something that um, I got so much energy, inspiration from that. And that's why I really wanted to be involved in sport and really give back and contribute to make it better. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. At 20 something. Or you were barely yeah. 20. You weren't even. Were you still a teenager when you were working for the Pan American Games? Uh, or is that- yeah, just maybe just a little bit late, maybe 21. Yeah. Yeah. Something around there. So it's something that really was um, a part of me growing up. And um, I did a lot of things that I never thought I would be able to do, but it really pushes you to go outside of your comfort zone, which that's I a think- lot of work. How did you how did you keep your horse riding up and your competition <laughs> up during all this? Because now we're gonna get into the FEI next, but how do you how do you run a schedule like that? That must oh, be amazing. I- I don't think I have a busy schedule as, you know, some other people or especially moms that are you know, at home trying to balance everything. Um, I think if you really love horses, you really make it work. So um, during games time, I didn't have a day off for about two months. And but I always would make sure that you know I would leave the office to be able to get back. And actually, I was working in downtown Toronto, but I was living in a place called Milton, which um, was closer to where I was riding, but it was uh, about an hour commute um, every day uh, into the city by train. And so you kind of really learn how to to balance uh, waking up at, uh, to take the seven o'clock train and coming back later and you, you just learn. And I think as anybody uh, with horses knows that it, you can't be without them. So you just mm. do whatever <laughs> you have yeah. to do. Well, you did it. You did it. And and you were getting your master. When did you get your master's? Uh, I was in 2016, but really officially graduated uh, this year in February. So mm. um, yeah, it was fairly recently, but yeah, right after the games, there was a few people there that had done it about five and they, it's actually the number one sports management master's program. So um wow. I had never known that uh, Switzerland was the capital of sport, but uh, after hearing about Lausanne and how you know the International Olympic Committee is here and how most of the international sporting federations, including um, the FEI and other big sports as well, are here, um, it's something that's really unique and um, it was also a super experience to to be here and and be a part of it as well. So you were drawn to the center of sports in the world then to go to Switzerland. Exactly. I really, after the games, that was really what inspired me. I thought I really found what I love, what I really um, wanted to be involved with. And so it drove me to move. Oh, (laughs) Uh, goodness. um, That was also a big learning experience in and of itself, just because, um, there was even moving to Switzerland, which I never thought would be a big of a culture shock, but there was some things that I didn't really expect um, also within horse keeping and, and things like uh, 
stores are closed on every Sunday. Oh yeah. At seven and, and coming from North America, you know, you're used to 24 hours and yeah. seven days a week. And so things like that is um, something that I've really learned and appreciated now. Being well, that's good. So you appreciate yeah, And Luzon is such a beautiful area. I, I don't, yes. you know, I'm not saying you're the area that you moved from Canada isn't, but that is extraordinary, uh, famous, famously beautiful. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and Switzerland is always beautiful. No matter where you go, it's, there's the mountains, um, or lakes and cows, lots of cows. Yeah, that's right. And, um, no, it's really, it's so beautiful. And to be able to ride horses here is, uh, the trails that they have is amazing. And Oh, good. So you, do you get out the, out of the arena and you get out on those trails? Do you have a oh, horse? Yeah. That that? yeah. I, I try to go with the horses. Each horse at least goes out once or twice a week on the trails because yeah, it's something that I think is so important for their mind and also our mind, because if we're in a box too, I think it's, Oh my <laughs> goodness. Prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to really, I think it's so great and it's a good bonding experience too, to get out and and get some fresh air. (laughs) Yeah. And you've met new friends there and do you, do you ride out with friends from the, the center? Do you have an equestrian center that you're plugged into? Exactly. So that's also something that, you know, I think if anybody's moving across the country, that's the first thing I was looking for was where are the horses and how am I going to start riding? I had no connections here. I had nothing to start with for riding. Uh, I searched for a month when I was here and I gave myself a month and I came across this wonderful horse and, um, and I was very lucky to, to find him. And it's funny, it's actually only a 15 minute drive away, but I don't have a car here. But what's great about Switzerland is that they have a lot of public transit. So it takes me about an hour just by public transit, but, uh, you know, you do it because you really love it. And now that I have friends there, um, most people only speak French. I'm in the French speaking part of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So that's also been a challenge because, um, you, uh, especially in these small towns, most people don't speak your language. So you also learn how to handle that. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Know? That's so, true. It's a good thing you're young. On <laughs> So no, you bought a horse well, there. I really have to improve my French though. I'm working on it, <laughs> yeah. but it's, learning the languages <laughs> yeah on top of everything else so so ha- and the FEI did they approach you or did you approach them with this idea of a of a research paper so um I approached them originally for uh, a research project so for our masters it's a requirement that you you do um a research paper and I really didn't want to do a paper just for the sake of writing something down in it for it to be left on the shelf I really mm-hmm. wanted it to be something that would be impactful and useful and something that was needed. So um, because of our program, we have a, I had a few connections within the FBI and, and met with the director of education and standards uh, called Dr. Harold Muller and met with him. And he was saying during um, the, I think it was Sports Forum two years ago, that Steve Goudert uh, had brought up this issue of horsemanship and what it was and that officials needed it. And he, he was actually not an equestrian himself, but he thought that you can't um, say that somebody needs something and you can't describe it. It's, mm. it's impossible for then that person to, to achieve it. So he actually came up with that idea. But when he first told me, I had to be honest, I thought he was crazy. <laughs> I thought this is impossible. There's no way anybody in the horse world is ever going to agree on anything. And mm. they're never... Um, 
there's there, everybody has such an opinion. You know, if you ask anybody in the horse world, you're going to come up with thousands of different opinions. So I thought it was kind of hopeless, um, but he really encouraged me just to to start. And so originally I had just done 50 interviews um, for the preliminary um, research, but when those results came back, he, he said he really wanted it to be um, with more participants, something that's even more concrete. So um, I decided to then uh, just start reaching out to as many people as I could and ended up getting uh, 105 participants, which is 105. Really yeah, amazing. <laughs> amazing in the horse world. Uh, I guess we're becoming more collaborative in the horse world, but my growing up, people didn't collaborate a lot in the horse world, especially trainers, because they, you know, that was their equity really, right? They sharing tips would have been something that would give perhaps the competition an edge. And uh, we've talked a lot about this on Horsemanship Radio, but that I think in the last 20 years or so in your lifetime, it's changed quite a bit to be more collaborative, but they're busy people. And to give 115, did you say 105, 105 people? People to give of the time to go through a survey. Everybody knows, you know, when you get that phone call, do you want to take time for a survey? Everybody goes, oh, not now. I don't have the. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's a very it's a very in depth survey too. So give us a little premise of of what the survey kind of covers because horsemanship is broad. You're right, and everybody has an opinion. You're right. <laughs> so so how did you? You were tasked with this problem. How did you create um, a questionnaire or a survey? that would guide these people, make it efficient, and come up with some collaborative answer? So, as you said, these are busy people. A lot of these people were very predominant. Um, and at the beginning, I never thought I'd be able to reach out to those people. So the FBI actually never, they gave me a few contacts, but um, mm. probably less than under 30 contacts. And some of those contacts never actually replied. So the majority of the people that I reached out to, um, I found through their websites. I searched through the internet. Um, I've been around with horses for a while. So there's a lot of people that I know were big in the industry or had, um, had opinions about horsemanship, such as George Morris or Monty Roberts or, or things along those aspects. So I just thought, well, there's, no harm in asking. Um, at the beginning, when there was the first 50 participants, I didn't do that. And it was only until later in the process where I was like, what's the harm in asking? If yeah. they don't reply, that's fine. But if I um, do, then it's great. So I did. I started doing that. And, and how I came up with the interview itself was just based on the questions that I would have if I was talking to that person. Mm -hmm. It wasn't... Um, if I was trying to understand how they thought of horsemanship, but not trying to do it in an accusatory manner, because there's, as you said, lots of opinions. And um, you have people from across the, the spectrum, um, people that I don't agree with that I interviewed, um, and there's people that I do agree with. But you had to make it so that it was very neutral, something that started off easy so that it would be get comfortable and um, then move into places where they could add their own because it was interesting, depending on the culture of the people, some people would speak to me for 20 minutes and some people could speak to me uh, for over an hour. So it was interesting to, to really see that. And also who decided to take the time to, to speak with me. There was people that I was like, this person will never, like, they get <laughs> so busy, they mm. won't have time, as, such as Monty Roberts or, or um, uh, Anki as well. People that, you know, they 
took time while they were driving or, or things like that. And yeah, so the conversation was really just something that if I think any question would have asked those questions just to really understand how someone would see um, mm-hmm. horsemanship. And, and I think it's interesting that the FEI, so, so let's give us a little history of the FEI. I mean, what's the background? FEI is riding, vaulting, and driving. Um, how would how would you uh, explain in a nutshell what FEI is for those who don't know? So the FEI is the international governing body of equestrian sports. So and and as we said earlier, not all equestrian sports. So they just do uh, specific disciplines of um, as you said, vaulting, driving, but also the Olympic disciplines, jumping, dressage. Uh, eventing but they do others that are very competitive as we said uh reigning and endurance so it's very diverse within um the federation itself and and it's quite old i can't remember the exact year of its founding um but it's based in lausanne and and many of these sport federations are based in lausanne so they can be close to the international olympic committee Mm -hmm. so a lot of meetings happen and all the federations want to be close because nobody wants to be um out of the loop in that regard so Mm -hmm. the fbi really governs how um the sport develops the rules themselves uh again they're only looking after those disciplines so anything outside of those disciplines they really don't have any um, influence over. And then again, also within nationals, um, uh, countries such as Canada, United States would have their own uh, national association, such as Mm -hmm. uh, USEF or um, Equestrian Canada. Those types of aspects would then control their own national. But the FBI is essentially looking after the world and the Olympic disciplines as well. Yes, that's big. That really is a good explanation, but. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good because it is, it's the, uh, it's the world governing body over these specific disciplines, but they take in probably of all uh, competitions in writing, it's, it's probably a big percentage of uh, those that compete, I would think. So, so it's important that they've taken this step that they've reached out in the interest of horsemanship. So think about that. You know, this is a very traditional governing body with a lot of people pulling at them and yeah. rules and regs all over and culturally, <laughs> you know, this umbrella of culturally accepted horse training and everything. That's a hard task if people get their brains around that, that what is horsemanship? Because, um, you know, I have an opinion about why I think that's so important because, hey, the radio show is called Horsemanship. But but what's your opinion, Stephanie? Of why do you think that's so important at this stage of the game of, of horse training? Oh, it's so true. It is really important. It's because, you know, I think it's something that we really throw around and we don't really know what it means. And mm. um as you, as you said earlier, I think that we're starting to agree more and more in the sport. And unfortunately, the FEI is usually within that spotlight of what's wrong with the sport or, mm-hmm. you know, they're going in the wrong direction. And the FEI is in a tough position in that regard. And um, I think it was quite brave of them to be able to say, OK, we'll go into an area that perhaps is pretty controversial. It's not a an easy subject. It's something that people are very passionate about. And that's why some of these bigger name people were, were really wanting to participate. We're really wanting to share their voice because, um, 
it is something that it is fundamental and it's not just something that's reserved for the elite of the sport but it's also you know people that are just um having their horses in their backyard or or anything like that it's really something that is universal um in that sense as well yeah do you think there's still a lot more to do on that project or do you think FEI now kind of has a, its definition it's interesting that they've started an online university too and, and that they have a video on there but do, do you think this is just the tip of the iceberg in creating a direction for the FEI or or are they pretty much set no absolutely I think you know there's always room for improvement there's always room for things to be growing and changing and obviously this was just the baseline because it was just getting the definition it, it, everything else is this is just um now we know what it is we now have to figure out okay how can we systematically improve it because okay. you know it's easy to just say okay this is what it is but really having to use that knowledge then to develop either programs testing um you know at the international level but also at the national level and so it's really just that point for discussion um, and uh, starting to then tailor tailor different training because now that you know what you need to uh, have in individuals then it's easier to address it so I love that um, yeah so that I think there's definitely something that that uh, can be done further and obviously the now um, as you said the FEI campus is launched which is really exciting it's free learning for um, any any individuals as well as now this course on horsemanship. So this research is now mandatory for um, any official going through the sport. And I think that's really exciting that it becomes something that these individuals that participated, it's um, a really good introduction into the sport, even if you're a uh, someone that's been involved like I have for the majority of my life, you still learn things just by um, hearing those insights as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I think is most amazing about this is that you brought people from so many different aspects of the horse world too. And you're not just listening to trainers and you're not just listening to scientists and you're not just listening to photographers. There's even horse <laughs> photographers in there. And that, um, and, and there's a balance because you know how some people in some industries, not even in the horse, uh, all industries, they feel like sometimes the balance gets off in because of interests or politics or whatever. And I feel like this is an effort to balance it with the strongest, um, um, experiences of people, really hands-on horsemen that, and hands-on horsemen scientists who can say and back up what, what trainers were thinking or maybe not, but, yeah. but that it feels like it's going in a direction that's fair to the horse. Exactly. And that's what I love the most about uh, it. That's wonderful. No, I'm, I, that's what I really wanted to try to do because I know reading lots of articles and um, being a part of the community, just how, you know, it it's, can be controversial and it, people are very passionate about their thoughts and opinions. And I didn't want to leave anybody out and yeah. I didn't want it to be biased just towards, you know, the Olympic disciplines, but I also wanted to get things that um, 
were perhaps not thought of before or people that wouldn't have normally been included but really are part of that and um, just to see if it was different because uh, but funny enough it, like no matter how many perspectives I, I interviewed it was fairly much the same and I think that's what's also really cool is mm. that you we do agree on things. And I think we yeah. forget that sometimes. In the <laughs> That's good, Stephanie. You're right. Because at the center of it, you you really did a good job, I think, of finding people that are really advocates for the horse, too. So um, I, I think that's a good thing, you know, that they've, they've it, it's a it's a rare combination of somebody who's achieved at a high level, but is a, is a horse advocate at their core. And, um, you know, and we need we need more of that, in my opinion. But, but I wanted to get to this this other paper that you did too, because you just recently did a really comprehensive thing. I don't even know where, where this will go, but uh, <laughs> th- that uh, you were asked by Monty to to create a list of all the equestrian disciplines. Now, on surface, that sounds pretty simple, but what <laughs> what is your definition of a discipline? Before we start, maybe we should do it like that. Gosh, yes. So. Um... As you said, Monty had asked me what uh, he thought is a discipline, and he said before when he researched it, it was a lot to do with, you know, disciplining a, a child, like uh, uh, beating, I guess, or uh, oh, yelling or so. But punishment it, or something, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, punishment. we weren't talking about that, yeah. Okay, but it wasn't really, it was never really about um, uh, horse disciplines or equestrian disciplines. And it's funny because it's also a term that we use quite frequently in our own world of horses. So um, so when I thought of discipline, I was thinking, okay, so it it's used in not just equestrian terms, because you can say discipline and also um, any other, you know, uh, uh, aspect as well. But for me, it was really something that um, it was an area that you were exploring further knowledge. And... So this could be within, you know, if you're with horses, it could be that you're going to then do dressage or you could go do reining or you'll be doing trekking or doing things that you're really focusing. You're spending more time learning. It's almost like you're specializing as if you're a doctor. You're not just a, a general practitioner, but then maybe you're focusing in eyes or you're focusing in feet or something like that. So I think that for me was how I kind of saw it was it was something that you were specializing in in learning about or participating in or competing in I think is the best way I thought of it but you know there's also that's very rough (laughs) yeah that's that's true okay so most people think oh okay I get it a discipline like jumping or dressage or western reining or cutting that you have have to win at but um, yeah, like you, you said, it's something that it really has to be, it's not that you have to be competing for it to be a discipline, but I think it's something that you have to be focusing or there's other people that focus on it, whether, you know, that can be, um, doing trick riding or, or things like that. It's really, um, something that you want to specialize and do more of, I guess. Yeah. So when, when you were asked that, you had imagined how many you, you thought you would come up with? Oh, I really didn't know. I knew that there was some crazy disciplines that I probably would have never heard of, but 
you know, when it comes to the top of your head, you really only think of the big ones. And those are yeah. obviously the Olympic ones and ones that are common to North America or common to your region. And so you probably would think of maybe 20 to 30, perhaps on the top of your head. Mm-hmm. But the more you really research into it and you see just how different worlds there are, different uses for the horses, because obviously there's also different breeds, different purposes. So um, there's a whole world out there that sometimes you never get to experience um, or learn about. Right. So when you recently sent it along, you figured you had pretty much finished it. And how many did you have on the list? Oh, I didn't actually count, but I think it was quite a lot. <laughs> like it's perhaps- over a hundred. Yeah. So I it's think that's over a hundred. I don't know where it'll end, but it's got to be somewhere no, I, close. I don't know. <laughs> hopefully. I don't know. Like, but even just yesterday, I think I added a one or two oh. more because I was, I heard about the nomad games or oh, so. And right. I just saw that I, in a documentary too. That's yeah, true. I've never heard about that before. And there's like this type of, um, you're on horses and you're wrestling and it's interesting. And like, you don't know if, if it just because it involves a horse, does that make it a discipline? So it's something that it's still, there's a lot of gray area and it's still very, very, very beginning parts. Yeah. Well, it's fun to see how many discipline or how many things that people have, um, documented well enough for it to be on your list that people use with the horse. And I, and I, you know, to me, it's just part of that horse advocacy list that I love that you put together. And I, I think it's, I think we'll have to follow up with you. Maybe we'll have to have a contest to see how yeah. large it can get or something. If people can really, add to it. <laughs> right. I'm sure there's things like, uh, yeah, you know, we really have to open our eyes a little bit more and, and really see it from different worlds and different perspectives because yeah. you can take so much from it as well. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think well, we really owe support <laughs> to do that. Yeah. It, it, good. And I'm so glad that you're, you've got the energy and that you're willing to do it. And it's just fun to watch the world <laughs> for horses open up more globally. And maybe technology has helped that. Maybe it's just yes. the Maybe it's just the interest in horse people around the world starting to appreciate the depth um, that which horses can affect our lives in a positive way. So, so Stephanie, I appreciate you being on. I, I appreciate all your time and staying up so late for us <laughs> in Switzerland. And, and we want to hear more. I'm going to put up on the, the, the show notes that we have. We have a website where Horsemanship Radio lives and people can go there and Click on your contacts and see the work that you've done and be proud of you like I am. No. And, and, and Ashley, where would people, do you have a Facebook page or some other way that people can follow you? Yeah, so um, I have Facebook as well um, and I have a website or if people want to send me an email, um, I'm happy. I, I love discussing and talking about horses. So perhaps I'll send you along the my email and then you can share it. And again, I... Put the contacts uh, for, yeah. for at least your Facebook page. So they would, it's yes. Stephanie, S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E and Kryshak, which Krishak. is, yes. which is K-R-Y-S-I-A-K. So you really have to listen carefully. But <laughs> fortunately, this is, 
this is recorded so they can play it back a little bit slower <laughs> than I am. Yes, I know. I apologize. I know it's a Polish last name, so it's very. Don't old. apologize for your name. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll have you on again. I would so love to follow your career and all your exploits because you're you're a fascinating person. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you, and I really appreciate having the time to speak with you and to be a part of the, the great um, work that you're doing. I think it's really terrific and um, I wish you all the best in the future as well. Thank you, au revoir. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his Cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to Cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Connie Johnson Hambly worked for over 25 years in finance and law. She met a lot of investors and invest in companies in biotech and clean tech. And then she leveraged this knowledge into writing because she wrote reports for them. And she's now been a feature columnist for Bloomberg, Business Week, Nature, Biotechnology, Massachusetts High Tech, some big names in writing for business. But young Connie started her life on a dairy farm in New York, and she had plenty of space to ride her six horses in. An arsonist, if you can believe this, took away this this barn from her childhood, and it changed her perspective on justice. So after receiving her law degree, she decided to write high-concept thrillers as an author, featuring remarkable women entangled in modern-day crimes. Now she keeps her horses in her life by volunteering as a horse handler at Windrush Farm, a therapeutic riding center in Massachusetts. Her experiences inspire her to write about the human stories surrounding horses' power to heal us. Her short story, Giving Voice, a story of horses healing a survivor of human trafficking, won in New England's Best Crime Stories. Now the third book in the Jessica trilogy, called The Wake, joins the charity and the award-winning The Troubles. The Wake features hippotherapy in a mainstream thriller. Well, welcome, Connie Johnson-Hampley. How are you today? I am doing fine. It's so great to talk to you today. Oh, thank you for joining us. I, I can't wait to hear your story and to introduce The Wake, your third book in a trilogy to to the readers and to our listeners. And um, it's really exciting. It was exciting to meet you last year at the Equus Film Festival in New York City. In New York City. That was really exciting. I know, the Big Apple. And then what happens? Two horse-loving girls meet each other in the center of New York City. I mean, Crazy. go figure. <laughs> Crazy. Well, all us horse people. It was so fun to see all these, like, cowboy hats walking around Manhattan. 
kind of. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know how people walk in stilettos. You give me, just give me my cowboy boots and I'm good to go. For real. Yeah, but you know, we actually <laughs> look like we fit in sort of because it's such a crazy little area where the film festival was last year. It was really fun though. Really fun. Really fun to meet you. I got a, a cute little snap of you, a photo that will put in the show notes and get to see you. But um, oh, I was fantastic. really excited when you reached out to me and said, hey, you know, the, uh, the new book is coming out and uh, I want to talk about it because you win awards. You make it happen and you got a really cool background and I think people are just going to love you. So I wanted to ask you a few things, just like the obvious questions in my brain as, as I'm reading your, your book was, do you have like roots in England or Ireland? I mean, you use these colloquial terms like like they watch the telly and, uh, oh, right, you are. And, you know, I could just hear the accents as I'm reading the book. It's so cool. Do you have roots there? Well, um, actually, my family does hail from Ireland, and mm. I've traveled there. But growing up, my grandparents would reprimand me in an Irish brogue. Mm. So that sound was always, oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, child, oh, what yeah. are you doing now? You know, it was always in my head. Yeah. So, um, yes, those little colloquialisms and, and things are, are part of it. And it's kind of fun when you write because you're able to draw on these little, snippets of your real life and put them into your fictional characters. And, and I just think that makes for a more f- enjoyable read for the readers. Yes, I'm sure. Do you kind of hear the accent then when you're tapping it out? I do. I do. And I have to scale back a lot because when I'm, when I'm writing, I really hear it. It's just so vivid in my head. It's, it's almost like transcribing a movie script when I'm, when I'm on a roll. Mm-hmm. So I scale back a lot from that detail and put in just enough so that my American readers can, can hear the brogue, but they're not going to be slowed down by some of the colloquialisms that right. an Irishman might put in. Right. I noticed the spellings are not like the English spellings. You didn't go that far. Like realize is with a, a, a Z instead of an S like they do in England. You know, and all those things I have to get used to when I read from Ireland or English people writing us, uh, you know, there, there's, exactly, English, there's exactly two right. Englishes in the world, by the way, you know, there's not just Exactly. Money. That's so true. And, and, you know, um, it's funny cause you're touching on something that's the same technique that I use when I'm writing about the horse world for my non-horse people, um, because I write mainstream thrillers, so my audience is someone who, you know, they, they love a murder mystery, they love thrillers, they love those page-turning books, but not every single one of my audience would know what uh, uh, you know, the proper way to tack a horse or um, how to pick a hoof or something, right. you know, something a little bit more uh, technical. So I take what the feeling is for that, and then I just bring it down enough so that I'm not losing my non-horse people, but I'm also not boring my my horse-loving readers, too. So it's the same type of technique where the voice, the research has to be there, the voice has to be there, but I put in just enough detail to evoke that emotion and feeling. Mm, that's so nice. And you know what I heard in there is hoof. And that <laughs> must mean that you're up in that northeast area, correct? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I've been given away again. Uh, yeah, well, I love it. I love you, Connie. See, I love you. See, yeah, Jen says hoof, too. You know, it rhymes with roof, right? 
That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, I, I just found that um, lots of kindred spirits when I say Boston, which is spelled B-A-H-S-T-O-N. <laughs> you know, so I give myself away every time I open my mouth. Well, let's start with your horsey background then, because uh, this is Horsemanship Radio, and I know our listeners are, you know, that's where they come from the angle first, but we got a lot of people who love to lose themselves in these, in, in their books, and this one is so cool because you, you can lose yourself in it, but you still... Um, you, you still have to stay active in your brain because it's not, it's, you know, it's historical and everything too. So in your, in your horsey background, you grew up with horses, uh, but you didn't, yes, you did. didn't compete a lot or anything. You were, you actually used horses in your farm. Well, um, I had six horses growing up, um, and I did very I would say um, low-level showing. I was hunter seat. I did a lot of hunter paces because we grew up uh, in a town north of New York City, about 70 miles, so uh, a very horse-centric area. So there were a lot of um, informal events. I wouldn't call them rated shows or anything, you know, super big. Uh, but it was a bug, and once you you know, get inside the show ring, it's a, it's a performance in a mm -hmm. sense. Um, and I've, I, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Fun, fun. So you've got it in your roots. So your books are accurate that way, but horses and therapy seem to be where you spend most of your horsey days these days. Yeah. Exactly. And right now, being a horse lover without a horse, what I do is I volunteer at a therapeutic riding stable. Mm -hmm. So I work with people with physical and emotional disabilities. And I've also worked with women um, who are survivors from human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So I really see uh, horse therapy on the real physical sense, you know, people with uh, real strong disabilities, either that they were born with or happened because of car accidents or strokes. Uh, so I see the physical benefits of the hippotherapy. But then I was really awakened to the emotional benefits of hippotherapy with working with these um, survivors of human trafficking because they have um, PTSD, they have a lot of anxiety issues, and, and as well you know, and every listener out there who loves a horse knows that they are highly intuitive animals. Mm -hmm. They almost react to our emotions sooner than we even realize that we're feeling them. And the interaction between um, people who are physically incapable of communicating with a horse or emotionally incapable of communicating effectively with humans, watching that interaction was just this incredibly galvanizing experience for, for me. And um, I... Um, I had written the first book in the trilogy called The Charity and really drew upon, you know, um, the love of Hunter Pace. I, I'm close to uh, Suffolk Downs, so thoroughbred racing is mixed mm -hmm. into that. Uh, and then as the story progressed, I realized that in this third book, the experiences 
that I had with hippotherapy, I really wanted to bring to life. And going back to the, you know, the first part of our conversation where, you know, that little bit of the Irish brogue kicks in or, uh, you know, geographically where we are, that horse piece, um, I knew I really wanted to feature the healing power of horses in this book in a, in a major way. And then writing mainstream thriller is meaning I'm not writing for a horse audience. I'm writing for, you know, a, a larger audience. I knew that I'd be turning people on to something that they had never heard about. But then being a thriller writer, it's like, okay, what can happen to my characters that would require them to be involved in this world? And that's where a lot happens. (laughs) So I don't want to give too much away, but there is, there is a bombing. There is, you know, a lot of uh, mayhem that, that happens. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love that. I mean, everything in your books are so concrete, though, too. And I can just, as a horse person, you can tell that your books are rooted in real life. Like Wind Windrush is where you do your therapy work in in uh, North Andover, Massachusetts. If I'm right, that's right. That's yeah, right. and mm-hmm. let's give them a shout out for for um, your work there too. I do. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to give a shout out, and I got permission from uh, the folks at Windrush to name my fictional farm after Windrush, uh, and one of my characters, too, in the book. So uh, the the fictional Windrush is named after a real-life place, and 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 that's just a wonderful way to give back to an amazing institution. Oh, and you do you do all the time, and you're volunteering too. But but that's I mean, it's you you feel the concreteness in your books about that too. So let's get into the books. Is, is writing full time for you now? Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, I have a several short stories that have been published in um, major anthologies. Uh, the three novels are out, and I'm working on my fourth novel. Uh, which is which actually draws upon my experience working with um, women from human trafficking, uh, and I don't think that the horse end is going to get into this book, um, but I'm only a little bit into it, so so you don't know. But uh, the experiences that I have um, flow into these books, and I do this full time. I absolutely love writing. Yeah, yeah, and you're good at it too. Maybe it's obvious, but what made you turn to writing? Um, I'm a lawyer by training, uh, which means that I um, actually it was a really bad career choice to go to be a lawyer because I'm conflicted first, and I was thinking, what am I doing here? Um, but <laughs> law school is a really great way of of learning how to write uh-huh. uh, because it's very. Um, when you're writing uh, a legal brief or constructing a legal argument, you're always looking at what the other person is thinking. And I think that that makes for a really good thriller or mystery because you're always saying, what is the other person going to be thinking Mm -hmm. at this point in time? And how can I use this to either heighten excitement or heighten action, whatever? So, um, Yes. So yeah, for, former lawyer got into this, and oh then I started gosh. writing. And I have been a journalist for Bloomberg Business Week, so that's a lot of research and writing. Uh, and then once I started inhaling information and exhaling fiction and whatever I wanted to, I, I was hooked. So yeah, there's so, no going back. 
no, yeah, no kidding. I mean, you better not because we're all, <laughs> we're looking for the next book. It's really good. It's fun when you write in a trilogy like that too. So it, I'm thinking about you now. I mean, I, I wouldn't get in an argument with you. Never now. I, <laughs> you're going to win. But so if, which comes first in your mind, the plot or like the intrigue of the historical context that you put these books in? Because they, they do, they span, these narratives span generations and they span all these historical truths. And mm, That's a really good question. I, at first, what comes to mind was, um, uh, the character came to mind first. There was Jessica Wyeth. She was, uh, uh, she is, was, fictional, um, world-class equestrian, and she had these events happen around her. So I thought about that and was like, well, okay, so so really the character came first, and then as I asked questions about the character, um, why were her fam- why why was her family killed in a car accident? Why was she uh, falsely accused of murder in the first book? Um, why did her um, these are tiny tiny itty bitty spoilers, but not too bad. Um, why was she then raised by her aunt, who was actually her biological mother? And what would make a biological mother not tell her daughter? Yeah. I'm your mother. So that was a, a, a galvanizing question that I had to answer in the second book. And then in the third book, I wanted to find out, did she fall in love with the right person? Um, is the love that she's experiencing from, from this person a, a good, wholesome, selfless kind of love, or is there something darker there? Mm. So the, the could three be a little bit of have, both. Yeah, it's, she, you're speaking know, of it's, you're speaking of the wake, which is the the third book that just came out over the summer, I believe. And that's right. It just got launched um, the first of September, and um, and in that book, I just really wanted to answer the question. Um, you know, the power of self for this world class equestrian. We all know equestrians have that grit. They have that individual yeah. determination, um, and I wanted to find out how that was going to play out in her. And then the question of, you know, how you are loved is as important as who loves you. Um, so that I wanted to answer that question. And, and the wake has two meanings. One, which is um, the wake, you know, when a boat plows through water, the water behind it is, you know, frost. Mm-hmm. So the wake is not only this the the remnants mm-hmm. of a of a powerful force, uh, but it's also an Irish wake mm-hmm. where it's a ma- it's a mixture of laughter and song and sorrow mm-hmm. and keening and um, so it's it, it has two two separate two separate meanings there. Um, and what your listeners should know is that each book is written as a standalone book, okay. but it is yeah. part of a, of a bigger, each book is part of a bigger picture, mm-hmm. but each book can be read on its own and the reader's not lost just That's because they good. haven't read uh, 
one or three Good to or whatever. Point out too. So um, the troubles is the second book that won the 2016 best fiction winner at the Equus Film Festival in New York City. So you That's could right. read this on their own if you wanted to jump in. But if you if nobody had read any of them, you would prefer that they would read in those order, or is there one that's more horsey than another? I mean, this is last there one, is... one that's more horsey than another? Um, I would say whatever your interest is. I mean, the wake is hippotherapy, mm-hmm. and and that is really fascinating to not only my my nonfiction or my uh, sorry my my non horsey readers, mm-hmm. um, but it's also really interesting to you know horse lovers who might not have been aware of this of this um, discipline that's out there uh, for for therapy. So I love, well, gosh, okay, I don't know how many mothers there are out there, but which kid do you love the most? Yeah. <laughs> how can you say? Not fair. You know, I can't say, oh, you know, but you can only talk to the youngest because yeah, I can't. You know, I, I, I agree I, with you. I agree. You're right. Do you want to share what the competitive discipline that Jessica Wyeth is engaged in? these books? It's pretty, um, it's pretty out let's there. Let's see. Well, well, now here's the thing. She is a wanted woman in a lot of things. She has gotten herself into a lot of trouble. And we all know that the horse worlds are small worlds. <laughs> um, so she tries to hide inside a discipline you know, she she just has a a knack, and in book t- book one, it's a steeplechase, and wouldn't you know, she wins a steeplechase, and that blows her cover. And then the second one is um, in uh, uh, I was hunter pace for the first, steeplechase for the second, um, and you know, she just can't stay hidden. So the more <laughs> she gets involved with what she loves and what she's good at, the more in, in a sense she puts herself at risk for discovery. Mm-hmm. From the That's bad guys. It. From the bad guys. And there are. There are good guys and bad guys, and it's sometimes hard to know which. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Well, Connie, it's been really fun to kind of divulge this to uh, to our listeners, and I hope we get to have you back again, too, when you keep producing, or there's beautiful awards that you receive, and we'd love to talk about it. And um, it's, really, it's, really, it's really fun to get to meet you last year, and it's really fun to get to know what you've done this last year, too. So we want to follow you on your journey. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and folks can find me on Facebook at Connie Johnson Hambly. Uh, you can find my website as well. And I'm on Twitter. And I love talking to fans um, on social media. So if folks find me, I'll, I'll make sure I touch base with them. That's great. That's great. We're really fun. Thank you. Readers, get out there. Get it off Amazon or wherever. You, go to her website first. You'll just love it. You'll love her website. So thanks very much, Connie. Oh, this has been a real pleasure, Debbie. And I do look forward to the next time that we see each other because it'll be fun. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. Dear Monty, are horse bits absolutely necessary? Is it not possible to use a dually halter to ride with? Monty's answer. 
It is absolutely appropriate to ride in a dually halter. Once you've tried it, you will see many reasons why it's an effective piece of equipment with which to ride, lead, and train your horse. In the world of horsemanship, there is a piece of equipment called a side pole. Many horsemen recommend it. The dually is simply a modified side pole. The two training rings provide a natural attachment for each of the reins, and while you use both reins for riding or long lining, I recommend the use of one rein while schooling from the ground. The dually halter comes with its own DVD to assist you in the process of learning how to use it. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. January 6th, be there in Temecula, California, the West Coast Dressage Festival Masterclass Series, where uh, Monty will demonstrate his expertise and skill, first in Temecula, California at Galway Downs, and then the rest of the West Coast Dressage Masterclass Series goes on to Del Mar, California, so be sure you catch the website for that. Then April 21 and 22 is the West Coast Dressage Convention, and that is near Los Angeles, California, a place near Thousand Oaks, featuring Monty Roberts, Edward Gall, and Hans-Peter Minderhut. Then uh, we have in May 23 and 24, it's the midweek, we have the 2018 Moment of Join-Up Symposium and Festival, and uh, we're finishing the details on that, and that's soon to be out. And then July 23 through 3 of August is the Gentling Wild Horses Course at Flag is Up Farms in California, and then August 6 through 10, right after that, is the Monty's Special Training at Flag. That's a lot of stuff, and for everybody who has been clamoring for more U.S. dates, there you go. There's a bunch of them. That's going to be interesting stuff in a specifically dressage setting, mm-hmm. the ones that he's mm-hmm. doing with uh, with the West Coast Dressage Association. So that's really exciting. I'm glad he's doing that. And if you couldn't get that all memorized in your brain during our podcast, you can find it all and more at MontyRoberts.com, or you mm-hmm. can t- speak with a real live, helpful human being at Flag is Up Farms, by dialing 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, and there are plenty, go to horsemanshipradio.com, where you'll find links about the guests and topics, photos, and more information. And as always, we say this every single episode, we love your feedback. And why do we love your feedback, Debbie? (laughs) Well, we love it because we get the show better if you give us feedback. Thank you. There we go. And you can give us feedback by liking Monty Roberts on Facebook. Just type in there, Monty Roberts. You can also follow Monty on Twitter if you like to be concise. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. Now, remind me, on Facebook, I'm going to do this right now, on Facebook. I'm going to go over here to Facebook right now, like this. 
And then I'm going to type in Monty Roberts. All right. Very good. It's a tutorial. Right there. And you're going to find Monty Roberts, and it's going to have the little blue circle with a check mark in it. Yes. That's the official page. That is verified. That's right. It's the real deal. Don't don't click on the one that just says Monty Roberts and has random crap on it. (laughs) Is there one like that? There probably is. There is. At least there used to be. So do that. So follow Monty on Facebook. And... Don't miss any episodes of Horsemanship Radio or any of the other really cool shows on the Horse Radio Network by going and to your app store and getting the Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Just search Horse Radio Network. It's quick and it's free and it's easy to use. It is. And I've got to say many thanks to our sponsors. We have our title sponsor, Omega Fields. They've Woo-hoo. been wonderful for us in 2017. And thanks again for your commitment to 2018. We've got Cavallo Horse and Rider, and we've got Monty Roberts University, Monty Roberts Equus Online University at MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.HorseRadioNetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.